Good morning, church. The scripture reading for today is from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 15, if you want to go there in your Bible. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. Shalom. And count, sorry, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, the word of the Lord.
morning. Last time I did this, I got the technology all wrong, so I'm looking up at my good friends, Frank and Laverne, to make sure that I'm doing this right. I want to thank you all for being here. I want to add my welcome to what we heard from Jeff this morning. My name is Mike Traben. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Fellowship Church. My family and I have been out of town for the last couple of weeks, and it's just a real privilege to be back, and I'm, I'm grateful to be back among you. And thank you to Frank and Laverne for serving uh, up in the sound booth and for the music team. Grateful for how the body serves one another and our family. Well, undoubtedly, you may have heard this phrase that some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. It's a quote attributed to Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was a physician a philosopher, he was best known as a writer. But a corollary to this statement might also be that we can be so earthly-minded that we handicap our kingdom value. There are many misconceptions of what heaven is and will be. And we can lack such an imagination of heaven that it becomes a stumbling block to us. Well, well, why is this? Well, it's difficult to connect to the unseen spiritual realm. It seems beyond our imagination. And indeed, as we read some of these fantastic statements in Scripture, it becomes difficult to interpret. What, what does that really mean? What will it really look like? So we, we don't connect to this unseen realm very much. We're living lives in our physical bodies, in a physical world. And that is our apparent reality. And that can lead us to becoming overly absorbed with our lives, our present lives. We're blinded by our flesh, our disordered desires. We're blinded by the world and the culture around us. And we can be blinded by the adversary of God. And we lack trust, and so we lack obedience. And and in the church, in the evangelical church, so much of our discipleship and study as we look toward the future focuses on how the end of the age as we know it will play out in human history. We spend a lot of time trying to get the order of things correct. What is our belief of the end times, how that will play out. Second-order things in our faith, to be sure. But we haven't spent much time on the concept of, of eternity. I can tell you in my own seminary training, a four-year program crammed into five years, uh, we probably spent ten minutes in a spiritual formation class talking about this heavenly city. And so we in the church, particularly in the evangelical church, we don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about or understanding. And so our understanding of our ultimate destiny is impoverished as a result. And so, friends, is our understanding of the gospel. We've narrowed the gospel down to a a plan of salvation, a, a method of persuasion to the detriment of what is a much broader gospel 
that is laid out to us in the scriptures, a gospel that, that proclaims the story of God's involvement in all of human history, the story of Israel and Jesus, and the story of the church, and what is our role in proclaiming this good news. Well, as we move much deeper into our own series, as we as a church begin to look at, at heaven We've been reminded that heaven is a promise. That how we respond to that promise in our lives in the here and now matters. And as we heard last week, that our physical bodies matter both in this life and for our eternal life. That our bodies, our physical bodies fit into the grand story of how God is redeeming and restoring every aspect of creation And we live now in the resurrection hope of the newness of life, body, and soul. Well, just as our physical bodies play a role, so does the sum total of all of physical creation. There's this continuity of substance that carries into heaven and earth. Now, the idea of a new heaven and a new earth we see throughout the Old and New Testament. We heard some of it this morning from Isaiah 66. It's also, there's a great passage in Isaiah 65 I draw your attention to to look at sometime this week. Verses 17 through the end of the chapter. And then in our passage this morning, in the second letter from uh, the disciple Peter to the church. And in the book of Revelation, written by John the Evangelist, where he describes this new heaven and earth. In Revelation 21, the, the new heaven and new earth is described as the consummation of many new things. John says he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Behold, I am making all things new. For those of us who struggle in life with physical ailments and the emotional struggles of life, this promise that God is making all things new is indeed good news. The concept of new things is a, is a major theme or motif in redemption history, especially in the, the passage that point to the end of this post-resurrection age of the church as we await the promised return of Christ. And, and as we read all of the scriptures, this journey toward this climax includes a lot of new, a lot of new things. Jeremiah says we'll have a new covenant. Isaiah, and in Revelation, we read that we get a new name. Isaiah talks about a new song. Ezekiel, a new spirit, a new heart. In the gospels, we read about new wine. And in Revelation, of course, we see this term, the new Jerusalem. So what will the new heaven and the new earth be like? Well, both Old and New Testaments clearly describe a time when heaven and earth will pass away or perish, as we heard in our scripture reading this morning. Which begs the question, will God utterly annihilate this present universe and replace it with a completely new heaven and earth that is being created again out of nothing? Or will God renew 
and renovate the existing heavens and earth. Well, as one reads what's been handed down to us by the prophet Isaiah, the disciple Peter, John the evangelist, we find some very startling and, again, seemingly difficult to interpret images, as well as some very ordinary images. Well, I've spent a lifetime disappointing people, and I want to disappoint you this morning. I can't describe for you precisely what the new heaven and the new earth are going to look at. We, we cannot take a virtual tour of the Father's house on Zillow. That was my best joke of the morning. <laughs> but the scriptures do allow me to say three things with absolute certainty. One, that as human history climaxes, we will spend eternity where it all began, here on the earth. And how we respond with our whole manner of life should be intensified by God's plan to renovate heaven and earth. And third is that our eternal state will exceed every human expectation. You and I cannot possibly imagine with great clarity what the new heaven and new earth will look like. But we will live resurrected lives in resurrected bodies with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. And the good news, friends, is that God has invited us to join him on his mission of making all things new again. But how should this invitation and God's mission influence our manner of life now on this current heaven and earth? And that is the question, friends, that we need to focus on. That is what Peter is saying to his audience in the passage of Scripture that we heard this morning. That in light of God's plan to renew, his ongoing plan and process of renewing and renovating the earth, and his promise in the end to indeed make all things new again, that how you and I live our lives in this present time that we've been given matters to God. It matters to one another. And it matters to the new heaven and new earth. And so we're going to look at this briefly in three movements, if you're into figuring out the organization of the sermon. Three movements. We're going to look at God's plan, man's plot, and our platform. Well, God's plan, as we see throughout all of the scriptures, God's plan has always been to bring heaven to earth. You see, God placed Adam and Eve in Eden, in a garden. And as we see in Genesis 1, God intended from the very beginning that human beings would would fill the earth with processes and patterns and, and products of cultural formation. When we see this verse where God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, it, it goes far beyond human procreation. It has to do with cultivating and expanding the boundaries of this garden that God had entrusted to their care. And that same plan continues up to this present time. You see, God's intention, while perhaps thrown a bit 
askance by the fall and human sin, God's intention in no way has been canceled by human sinfulness. God's plan is to redeem and to transform that which is presently perverted and distorted by our human disobedience to his will. You see, God's plan brings heaven to earth. In the Edenic state of the garden that we read in Genesis 1, humankind did not go up to God. God himself came down to the garden. In the fallen state of the world, God again and again comes down to you and to me. He came down to the Israelites to bring them out of Egypt and to lead them on their wilderness journey. He came down and he met with Moses face to face in the tabernacle and at Mount Sinai. God came down to his people through the law and the words and the writings of the prophets. God came down and God brought heaven to earth and the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And God brings heaven to you and me through his word and by his spirit. You see, this is what Peter is saying as he writes this letter. As we look at the second half of verse 4 and verse 5, Peter tells us, he says, All things have continued just as they have been from the beginning of creation. God's plan hasn't changed. God's methods are not changing. The heavens existed long ago, he says, and the earth held together out of water and through water. By the word of God. Now you look at this word water and you're tempted to look at it literally. And we're, we're well advised to look at a lot of things in the Bible very literally. But water in the ancient Near East had this imagery of chaos and evil. The ocean was a violent place. Large, chaotic. And so when we read in Genesis that God formed order out of chaos, the word is water. And so Peter's reminding his audience that that things have not changed. The heavens existed long ago and the earth, earth held together out of water and through water by the word of God, by the person and the words and the works of the living word, Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 6 and 7, in the same way that that God cleansed the earth of evil and unrighteousness with a flood in, in Noah's time, that that flood itself did not utterly destroy creation. And neither will God again in the future is the prevailing interpretation throughout the history of interpretation from the church fathers until today. That God is not going to utterly destroy the earth and recreate it out of nothing. But that God will continue and refine and complete this process of renovation and renewal. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is God is calling us to participate in that in the here and in the now. You see, God will ultimately renew and restore 
all of the earth at the second coming of Christ. And that's what Peter is speaking to in these verses. Well, as I said, the prophet Isaiah has some things to say, some imagery that he provides of of a new creation. Isaiah 60 records the vision of a magnificent city. And the prophet is speaking to the city and he's, he's drawing attention to various aspects of his appearance. And this city is, is not like any other that he has seen among the products of humans. It's a city built by God. And it's clearly a transformed city, a renewed city. Many of the people and objects from Isaiah's own day appear within its walls, but but they have assumed different roles and they perform different functions. It's a city that, that draws people to it. It's a city where the fullness of life flourishes. It is the place, it is the city in which God's redemptive purposes for his creation are fully and ultimately realized. And this whole holy city is, is not wholly discontinuous with what we've come to know in this present life. And friends, this is an important concept to grasp. That the contents of the new heaven and earth will not be unfamiliar to us. Human history will ultimately climax where it began. On the earth with a new heaven and a new earth ushered in by the second coming of Christ. But but friends, much of what we do in this life, much of what humankind has accomplished throughout all of human history will remain in the new heaven and new earth. It will be purified. It will be refined. It will be repurposed. And you and I will walk in that city in the presence of God and, and in all of his glory. As a seminary professor, Dr. Michael Spiegel said, he says, the fate of both divinity and humanity, eternity and temporality, heaven and earth are wrapped up in the destiny of this one divine human person, the risen Christ who is coming back to establish his kingdom. So God's plan is to bring heaven to earth. God brought heaven to earth in the person and the words and the works of Jesus Christ. And God has commissioned us to participate in this work of renewing heaven and earth. And so our first point of application is that we've got to set our hearts and minds on things above. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Colossae to do that very thing. You see, this heavenly city that we see in the scriptures must be our aiming point. And the resurrected Christ is our guiding light in how to achieve that, how to reach that. You see, inhabiting this heavenly city must be the ground that we stand on 
to establish these patterns of continuity between our present life as a people immersed in present cultural circumstances, we've got to establish this continuity between our present life and the life to come. And we do that by setting our hearts and minds on the things above. And this, friends, has been God's design from the beginning. God's plan is to bring heaven to earth, but but ever since the fall, you see humankind, you see humankind plots to take matters into our own hands. Man's plot is not to let God bring the heavens to us. Man's plot is to reach up to the heavens. And we see through this throughout the biblical story as well. If, If history is our teacher, it shows us that our, our fleshly human tendency is, is to neglect and abuse what we've been entrusted with. And as we follow the storyline in Genesis immediately after the fall and, and up to the point where we're introduced to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, what do we see? We see humankind siding with the serpent in the garden growing in their evil and murderous ways. And we see that as humans spread over the earth, death reigns over humanity. And as man multiplies, corruption increases, and and sin envelops the whole world, so much so that God purposes to descend a destroying flood upon the earth, to purge it of its wickedness, thus making a way for a restored Creation that will begin with Noah and his family. And God's plan called for people to spread over the face of the earth again, again, with this mandate to cultivate and to expand culture, to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. But you see, the nature of the human heart left to our own hearts and devices, our nature is to attempt to overthrow God's authority by building a new world center to exalt ourselves before God. We see this in the story of the Tower of Babel. God had had commanded humankind to spread over the earth. And what do they do? They congregate in a city. The Bible names this city Shinar. We might know it as Babel. And they purpose to build themselves a tower. The Tower of Babel. They're disobeying God. They're, they're demonstrating their own discontentment in God's plan and their pride in their own abilities. And they want to build a tower to ascend it so as to become like the gods. The people plot to reach up to heaven, having decided to make much of themselves rather than the creator. You see, the sins of the ancient city of Babel that we see in the scriptures are sins that that beset our modern-day Babels as well. As as a heavenly-minded people, we can spend a lot of time looking to the clouds, not focusing on what God has called us to in the here and now, but, but plotting our escape and dreaming of our rescue out of our present circumstances. 
We try to do it today in so many different ways. Even as a church, with the greatest of intentions, we want to evangelize the world in the hope of bringing in the last of the lost people so as to somehow manipulate God into coming back sooner and freeing us from our present circumstances. And yet God has called us to something much, much greater. So much of humankind treats all of the physical creation with contempt. We selfishly mine resources and and do grievous harm to the environment instead of stewarding the creation as we ourselves have been created to do. You see, humankind left to our own devices, our answer isn't to participate in the mission to save the earth, but to devise missions to escape it. We have this sort of, uh, I don't, I don't know what to call it. It's not a joke in our family. Um, I, you know, the parents, my wife and I, we have four kids. You know, we, we've, we're like, Hey man, going to Mars, don't want anything to do with it. Seems like a one way mission. It's going to be kind of terrible to die in a place that you can't get back from for nine months. So, I don't know, somehow it seems like we've started coaching our kids to say, I never want to get to Mars. But as I look at something like a mission to Mars, it it reminds me of, of our human proclivity to want to find our answer somewhere else. Some hope to prove that that nothing we propose to do now will be impossible for us. And And please hear me, I'm not against technological advancement. What an incredible human achievement the humankind has put human beings on the moon and brought them back safely to earth. Those sorts of things just are staggering to me. But some hope to disprove the assumption that, that life in our universe is unique to this earth. And I'm not, I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know that our human lives, God has intended to be unique to this earth to be in accordance with his plan and on his mission. But some want to disprove the assumption that life in our universe is unique to this earth because it it frees them from having to acknowledge that we serve a creator who, who created everything in our physical universe. All that is seen and unseen, our creed tells us. Others hope to create an alternative home to which we can escape when we've exhausted the earth. I could go on. I'm not really sure why we picked Mars. I mean, it has a lot of um, remnants or indicators that it used to be like earth, but you know what? It ain't. It's monochromatic. It's got a lot of radiation, no water. Um, I watched a quick video. I'm totally wasting your time here. Where, where our plan to build... The, the structure in which humans will live on Earth, or Mars rather, initially is to send a bunch of autonomous robots to Mars, melt the Martian material of the planet, 3D print a large structure that will protect them from the radiation, and then inside this structure, we now inflate these series of, of living spaces that are, quote, in the marketing literature, focused on the human experience. Friends, that's, that may be a remarkable technological achievement, and I will be as amazed 
as the next person in cheering on humankind when we achieve it. But that's not what you and I have been necessarily created for on this earth. This is our home. So back to regularly scheduled program. In Second Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 7 to 10, that, that Peter tells us the heaven and the earth that exists now are passing away. This fallen, corrupted earth is what's passing away. He says they will be judged by Christ when he returns. But in the same way that, that God's plan is to make new creations out of fallen humans, right? As Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church, you're a new creation. In that same way that God has made you and I a new creation through Christ, God is making heaven and earth into a new creation through Christ. His plan is to make a new heaven and earth, not out of nothing, but to renovate and renew, to re, renew the earth. And he tells us, he tells his, re, his readers that God is merciful and patient. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise. But the day of the Lord, he tells us, will come like a thief. That God is patient. He wants all to come to a saving knowledge of him. He wants all to exist with him in eternity in this heavenly city that is the new heaven and earth. And so our second point of application is that we have to open our spiritual eyes and see the new heaven and new earth and envision the part that you and I will are playing in bringing it about. You see, if you and I spend all of our time looking around and saying, man, I just cannot wait to be free of this, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But if you and I cannot envision and understand what God is doing and how he's doing it to bring it about, then you and I will be deficient in both our ability and our imagination for and the way in which we choose to participate in it. So friends, we need to open our eyes my family and I just spent the last couple of weeks um, up in Colorado in a small recreational vehicle. Six people and a dog crammed in something that has like the four floor space of a single bedroom, not the new heaven and earth. But I was reminded as we drive around what an incredible physical creation that God has entrusted to us, that there is so much beauty on this earth. And yet, so often, we don't take the time to look at it, to look at the very things around us. We want to escape somewhere else, to a beach in a foreign country. Friends, we, we've got to open our eyes and to be able to look around and imagine what this all will be like without sin and death and suffering, and corruption. And with that imagination, then begin to enter in and to do what we can to alleviate those things in this present world and in this 
present life. Where our platform, our platform, is to submit to and to join the risen Christ in renewing heaven and earth. Our platform is to renew heaven and earth under the leadership of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, Peter asks the question, he says, What sort of people must you be in holy behavior and godliness? He tells them and he's telling you and me that that we should be both waiting and hastening. We should be confident and patient that God is doing a work to renew heaven and earth. But we should also be focused and working with God, cultivating a new heaven and earth, living out This cultural mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve and all of humankind in the garden that we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 or 29. And as the church, as as those who've been grafted into the vine that is Christ, the risen Christ is our platform for human flourishing. As the flesh and blood of Christ on earth, we've been commissioned to participate in this redemption and renewal of heaven and earth. You see, God's plan to bring heaven to earth intends to make use of the very creative activity that we as his image bearers have been engaged in since the dawn of human history. The very gifts and capabilities that God has given you and me in all of their marvelous diversity, in all of their strengths and weakness, they all matter. What God has given you and me, what God has given specific to you matters in the new heaven. In the new earth, what you and I are creating now will be refined And live on in eternity. This imagery of things melting away. Of of refinements. God wants to destroy the impurity. But he's going to keep what is good. What you and I are creating now. Will be refined. And live on in eternity. And what you and I are cultivating in this fallen world. Is part of God's plan. Of bringing the new heaven. And the new earth. And so our final application is, is, is to be obedient, to walk in the calling that God has given us. Not to stop and build our own cities and towers and reach up to heaven. But to join God in his work. Peter says in verse 14, he says, In your patience, be diligent to be found by him without spot." Or blemish. And to be at peace. This word peace means wholeness. It's not just an absence of conflict. It's, it's imagine a, a being perfectly whole. Peter says, be patient, but be diligent. Be confident and patient, but do the work. And be at peace. Because God is coming back and he's going to make all things new again. 
It doesn't depend on you and me. It involves you and me, but it doesn't depend on you and me. And then he says in verse 18, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would just invite you to take a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, that are considered the, what Paul says are the marks of a true Christian. And look at those qualities, and that's the fruit of growing in grace and knowledge. We've been charged with the stewardship of creation and called to create and to cultivate and to collaborate with one another. And so we must walk in this calling. So to bring this to a close, as a redeemed people, friends, we are a new creation. We've been made new when we place our trust in Christ. God is continuing his process of renewing and renovating our hearts and our minds and our lives for his good purpose and for his glory. And just as our bodies are not disposable, this world, my friends, is not disposable. As your body matters for eternity, as you will experience a bodily resurrection for eternity, you're going to experience that bodily resurrection in eternity on a new heaven and new earth. And this coming judgment, this second coming of Christ, will indeed be just as world-altering as the flood of Noah. So friends, what will the new heaven and new earth really look like? We look at Revelation chapter 21. It tells us that the reign of Christ will remove the curse. That's the new heaven and new earth. It's a It's a world where the evil order of things will have passed away. When we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, that the sea is gone, that's not necessarily the physical, literal ocean. It's this uh, image of chaos and evil, the waters, if you will. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And as the dwelling of God will be with a redeemed humankind on earth, friends, the new heaven and the new earth are exactly the same place. It's not some far off distant place that we'll experience in what theologians call the intermediate state. Friends, the new heaven and the new earth is is living in what the Bible tells us is this holy city in the presence of God. If God's dwelling place is heaven, when God is residing in this heavenly city with us, then heaven and earth will meet and remain joined for eternity. So as we move together into the remarkable love of Jesus Christ, friends... We're on mission with God to redeem and renovate this earth.
may we walk in those things. Would you pray with me? Well, Heavenly Father, you are indeed the creator of all that is seen and unseen. And Father, you've given us this marvelous, miraculous, unfathomable creation in in all of its beauty and magnificence. And Lord, you may have created thyself Life elsewhere, Lord, I don't know, but God, you've given this earth to us and you've invited us to steward it alongside of you. Father, help us to set our hearts and our minds on things above, to to learn to look for glimpses of the new heaven and earth. And Lord, I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would strengthen us to be obedient to, to participating in making those things to become a reality. God, all of the universe is held together in your son Christ. For from him and through him and to him are all things, your word tells us. Father, we, we're Grateful that you're patient, that it is your heart and your desire that none would perish. Lord, grow us as your people that we could walk deeper into the manner of life that you've called us to and that we could participate more into what you are doing and what it is that you promise that you will certainly do in the end. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand.